I don't know about you, but one of the great joys of life is listening to the stories of other people. Because in the stories of other people, we find ourselves. We identify with them, and I think there's a real lot of value in that. And uh, I met Edith, I, I bet it's getting, is it 18 months, two years ago now, that we were sitting upstairs for the Clifton Ministers meeting, and you were sort of telling a little bit of your story, and Lydia was as well. And I said to you afterwards, oh, I must get you down to hope, Edith, because uh, you should tell that story and we should listen into it. So it's taken a little while to get here, but uh, thanks so much for coming. And uh, let's give a nice welcome to you. So this is Edith Onovo. Have I said your surname correctly? Yes. Okay, I'm doing well. Okay, we're doing good so far. So uh, thanks for coming, Edith. And currently, you are on the team at Holy Trinity Church. Yes. Tell us a little bit about why you're there and what you're doing, then we'll talk about family and we'll move on from the rest. Good morning, church. Morning. morning. It's lovely, lovely to be with you guys. I really have been so pleasant and welcoming since I stepped in. Aww. And this is such a, an emotive topic. I felt like I hope I am, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't recall sure that I will continue to be friends even after. But yes, my name is Edith Onovo. I am a student um, studying theology, training for ministry. I will be ordained um, this July uh, with the Church of England. So throughout my two years of training, I was placed, or I'm still currently placed at Holy Trinity with St. Francis and St. Mary's under Reverend Lydia Cartwright. Right. So who are you studying with? Are you connected to a particular college or what? what yes, I am with St. Melitus, East Midland. It's a national church, okay. a national theological school. Yes, yeah, aware of that. Oh, that's fantastic. So for those of you who've got theology questions, um, <laughs> over coffee later, Edith is the person to speak to. Okay. That's fantastic. So, And you're having a good time at Holy Trinity and things are going well there and Lydia's got all the team together, which is fantastic. It's such a beautiful thing because I came um, to... 2021, so it wasn't long after COVID, and seeing how we started and where we are now, seeing what God is at work doing both in the community and with people. You know, people that came in to um, to come maybe to our drop-in service, seeing them being fully part of the church and supporting others. That was such a beautiful blessing to be heard, yeah? Yeah, that's really brilliant. Mm. And it's great to see how things are coming together and moving forward. It's great that the churches work together as well, which is really wonderful yeah. for, for the community. So tell us a little bit about um, yourself. So you're married and you've got children. So let's, let's start there. I am married, was married, let me put it that way, because the issue of immigration actually cost me my relationship at the end of the day. Oh. Um, so I have three wonderful girls. Uh, Vanessa is 18. Uh, she'll be 20 in August. She's studying law second year at Cambridge University. Wow. So my second daughter, Ronia, is taking A-levels this, um, this summer. She hopes to study PPE at Durham University. She's been offered a place, so hopefully she's going to Durham by September. Fantastic. And my youngest child, Claire, she's 14. Um, she won a scholarship, so she's currently at a boarding school at St. Sweden in Winchester. So, yeah. Wow, wow. So they're all doing really well. Yes. Um, I came from Nigeria originally, trained as a medical doctor. Uh, came over here to study master's in public health. Did that with University of Wolverhampton. Um, yeah, I worked in public health as a public health practitioner. And 
mm, to other, other private companies. Currently, set up an organization to a well-being social enterprise, Van Claren CIC, that is looking at well-being for especially the BEM community. Wow. 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 I mean, this is all, all amazing and, and sounds, sounds great, the direction that, that your life is going in. Um, it's not always been easy. No way. <laughs> and I think it's, it's some of that challenge and difficulty and pain that I'd like to sort of unpick a little bit with you today because my, my hope for our conversation, Edith, is that um, you would help to educate those of us whose lives have not been touched with the challenges that your life has been so that we can have a better understanding of that, that journey and from what you're saying there, you know, the, there are trials, there are tribulations, and, uh, you know, prices are, are paid, are paid for that. So, you, you came to the UK as a postgraduate student. That's how the journey started for you, leaving Nigeria and coming here. So, when, when was that? So, I came over here 2008. It's been quite a while. Um, and it's just beautiful to know, you know, as Christians, he didn't say we won't pass through fire, through water, or through right. stress, mm -hmm. but he promised that he would be with us. And that is such a beautiful thing. Having gone through all those things and looking back, honestly, I would say they have been blessings. Wow. Because in the midst of it all, you know, the identities that I had that was giving me joy, mm. I was able to, you know, they became even a, a shame. I couldn't actually identify as a doctor where I was. But it helped me to see the true identity, that I am a child of God, Amen. that I am loved, yes. and that love is everlasting. It doesn't matter the circumstances around me. And it was pretty challenging. I think we'll go into it in details a bit. But through it all, God is faithful. Amen. Yes, God is faithful. This is true. This is true. So you, you arrived in the UK 2008. Eight. You are studying in the university in, in Wolverhampton. Yeah. Um, where do things go from there? Just take us a little step at a time. So I started 2008. When I came in over here, I, I already, <laughs> I had three girls, lost one while in Nigeria. So when I came over here, there was issues but because I know that I am a professional, I felt like I didn't need to go through a siren. I wanted to um, continue with my practice and be able to support my family and my girls. Mm. Um, so I finished 2010. Uh, even before I finished, I was already working with the NHS. Um, but in 2011, my husband then had an issue. But that meant that I had to confront the issues that concerned both myself and my girls, especially. I, without really going into too much, um, too much details, I had a medical condition that meant that both myself and my girls were at risk. And I want you to, I want to emphasize on this because most times um, when we talk about why people seek asylum, the process is quite detailed. It's not as simple as they make you see it. Because if you say about a medical condition, nobody takes your word for it. They have to put you through a medical examination to confirm. Okay. Anything that you say, they will have to go through that process. It's thorough. You do the first interview, do substantive interview. You do interviews a couple of times. So if they accept you, 
most times they have every evidence because they, what they're looking is anything to discredit you. So when people go through the system, it's not just simple. And anybody coming in, you must have a good reason, otherwise you will not be accepted. Yeah. So that was when, in 2011, we did seek asylum. They accepted that our case was valid, but it took complete six years. In that six years, I had taken my license to practice both Plab 1 and 2, passed both of them, that I was not allowed to work. My husband too was a chartered accountant, he was not allowed to work. It was one of the most miserable times you can think of. Because I look at these girls, their life should have been so different. But they were living, because they were coming of age when we came, they were three and four. But they were growing up through the system and knowing those lack and all those things. So it was not pleasant experience, both as a parent, yes. but seeing those girls go through that, that was like doubly humiliating. Wow. Wow. Talk to us a little bit about, so you're saying that's a six year process? Yeah. And that's six years, honestly, in context, is small. A friend of mine has took 20 years. Okay. So when you take away 20 years from that person's life, that's complete waste. She left a two-year-old child. So by the time she was granted, that child is already a mom. Yeah. It was a total stranger. And you cannot travel, you cannot see that person. So it really does take its toll on people. Wow. wow. And this is taking place in what part of the country? You... That's another thing. <laughs> I actually came to Nottingham on no choice basis. Because you just wake up one morning and you get a letter that you're moving to a place that you don't know. You know, my, my daughter was, um, my daughter was take, about to take, she was in year six, because she was only in year six here for one time. You know, that kind of instability. And my children's, the effect on my children was the one that was really hurting me the most, because mm -hmm. the amount of instability, in one day you could move from one house to another. But I tried to make their school to be a bit of the stability part in their life. So no matter where they were moving us, I was in Birmingham then. I tried to keep that school. And it meant right. that sometimes, because you don't have money, we had to trek miles, like wake up ridiculous hours, 5 a.m., just to make sure that we get to those places. So when they were about to move, they cried. But somehow, my spirit, I wanted, my solicitor wanted to challenge them moving us. I woke up, my spirit said, no, just listen and go. Okay. And yeah, we came to Nottingham, and I would say Nottingham have been good to us. So mixed, but good mixed, overall. Mixed, but good. So you ended up moving from Birmingham to Nottingham. And what you're saying is that you can be moved from place to place just on the back of a letter, yeah. a rise in the post, yes. and that's it, you've got yeah. to go. On no choice basis, that's the On moment. a no choice basis. And, and this is for somebody who has a legitimate appeal for asylum in the country, and yet you're still having to fight the system with all of its instability and everything that's going off with it and the massive impact that it has on you and, and your children. And so during that time, Edith, what, what I think you're saying is that you're trying to find those, those places of stability for the children's sake. So you're doing the best that you can regarding them moving to keep them in what, the same school, even though that's traveling yeah. to get there just because you're after those emotional anchors for them. Yes, yes. And 
um, I think when you say uh, when you hear the name hostile environment, I think um, the clue is in the name. Yeah. It's meant to be very, very, very hostile. Because of some no excuse, probably somebody was meant to come and you were not there. They could suspend the support they give you. And that means for months on end, we had nine months that we had zero, as in nil, absolutely nothing. And that's with three girls. Wow. So you pass from council to, to local authority to school. They were just pillar to post. But there were generosity of other people. You know, uh, one of the head teachers for my children were like, Edith, I know we are not supposed to give anything, but I will do everything that I can. And she was supportive throughout. So maybe one of the things I would say is, is, is I like telling this story, not just for the pity party or the sob story bit of it. But when we hear in the news most times, it's painted that, oh, people are placed in five-star hotels. People are um, milking this. You need to see the kind of places they give you to stay. Because right. it's naturally places that most times no other people would, would yeah. want to stay there. But that's not the issue. Currently, because of my organization, we work with, we support people that live in hotels. It took a lot of advocacy for us to get them to give, I think, five pounds a week. And these are people with families, because before it was zero, the reason being that they are in the hotel, they eat the food. And when you come from, I don't know about you, when you travel to a new country, it's not easy to eat that food initially. So most times, the children starve completely because they couldn't eat what is given to them in the hotels. The, the moms could not support them. And all these things impact on their well-being. So you see people that even after they have been granted, they are not able to even integrate because they've been so damaged psychologically that it's difficult for them to actually move on with their lives. So, so the system is, from your experience, intentionally stacked against that person who's seeking asylum so as to be intentionally and deliberately hostile towards them. And that is, that is the, I don't think that they are hiding that. But what I would like us to probably reflect a bit, and which is one of the things I hope that our discussion today probably will help, is imagine yourself, under what circumstances would you put your child in that little dinghy to cross the channel? So before you are here, you are very desperate. If my girls were not at risk, I would not have gone through what I would. But you have to make that judgment. And I am a very competent person. I am a medical doctor. I have my training. I could have easily gone back if that was an option. So when you see people go through, these are very, very desperate people. And I just, especially for us as Christians, you know, said we are created in God's image. And that image is not just the way we look, but it is in the nature of God. Mm. And we are told that God is love. Mm. So many times, you know, we hear Christ had compassion. So what I'm calling is for that heart of compassion, because God has shed that love abroad in all of our hearts, is that when you look at people, can you see the humanity in them? You know, part of the reason I set up this organization, 
It's also the support that I got from others. People that looked beyond their level and saw a human being. People that were there, just being there and looking at you and seeing you as a human being. So if we could have that um, towards strangers, you know, and when I, honestly, as Christians, there are so many times in the scripture that is talking about us being kind to strangers, yeah. seeing Abraham, the way he related to strangers. And we are now in the time of Easter. When we talk about Jesus' story, in two times, when they were going for the census, it was the kindness of the stranger that they were able to, you know, Jesus had to go in there. And during when they wanted to kill the under two years, yes. it was the kindness of the stranger. And theologically now, <laughs> you talk about in incarnation and in Jesus' coming, most of the things he walked through, he redeemed. Of all the things he could have assumed, he assumed that of a refugee, of a stranger. And I think that there's a lesson there, especially for us as Christians. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And, I, and I think the idea, Edith, that, that you're saying to us, imagine how bad those circumstances must be for you as a mom to put those, your, you know, little children in that dinghy and, and risk that crossing. How, how desperate must you be to have to undertake that level of, of risk. And we probably need to, to sit with that thought before any other judgment is passed. Yeah. Um, because I think that probably is the route to, to compassion. Yeah. And, and really, you know, considering it in, in that way. So, so you are here, you're seeking asylum yourself. You're, you're a qualified professional, um, a medical doctor. Yeah. Um, living in a country where we're absolutely desperate for doctors um, and you can't work as a doctor. I still have people sitting in the hotels that are doctors and they're not allowed to work. Wow. Yeah? Yeah. We're really bright at times, aren't we? Um, okay, so we've got paid, so we've got qualified professional people seeking asylum, legitimately seeking asylum in the UK that are currently housed in hostile accommodation who could actually be serving the community. The community. Mm. You know, um, I want to say here that there is, you know, I, I can understand where people come when they, things are hard and it's easier, especially for politicians uh, to use emotive languages because they need something that will drive people out. Nobody is saying, oh, just open the door for every Tom, Dick, and Harry. But how can we be fair? How can we be compassionate? You know, people that are asking for reform, they are asking for safe routes. Yes. In a way that things could be okay. In a way that things could, you know, if you put somebody in the system for 20 years, and at the end of the day, give them pepper. Like the lady I was talking about, she ended up with a lot of illnesses. Uh, she's had a heart transplant, a lot of things. She could not walk. So at the end of the day, for that 20 years, nobody won. She's lost a good quality of life, Absolutely. but she's not able to make any contribution. So how could we make it in an effective way that is compassionate? Yeah. Yeah. And that, that is fair. That's what I, 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 I think my message is. It's not about, oh, be reckless and be, you know. But no. how can we, at the, at the root of it, instead of looking for hostile environment, to look for a compassionate environment, a compassionate environment that is fair. Yeah. 
which I think is, is such a good way of, of talking about it. I think especially from yourself, Edith, in trying to move that dial with whatever sphere of influence that God gives to you through the organisation you've set up, maybe any voice into that political arena. Uh, you are somebody who has both experienced it and also seen the lost lives as a result of it that could have actually made such a, a valuable contribution into society um, as a whole. When we were sort of thinking about what we would talk about today, um, you said to me, most people are not callous, but they don't have understanding. And, and that is true. And if, if I get anything today, I hope people will be able to kind of reflect because the generosity of individuals throughout was really, really amazing. Because when you come closer, you hear people's story and you see them and not label. You're able to relate because that humanity kind of, you yeah. could see it, you know, you could see those little things. Um, you were talking about life that could have been lost because of this situation. You know, my eldest daughter that I'm talking about, she was taking these exams, even after we've been granted, because of the way housing is, we were stuck in a hotel for nine good months. And these nine months is also daily movement. Wow. And because of how resources were, we don't have credit to call. So my daughter will finish school and doesn't know where she's going back to. He said, Mom, this is just, even as I'm not asking for much, I'm only asking for just stay home. You know, she will, she will be looking for somebody to get a phone to kind of ask me, Mom, where are we today? He said, I just look at all the, because she is a gifted and talented student, she's never made a B. She said, I look at all these things and look at my lot in life. She was so on the verge of losing it. It's part of the motivation for me to set this up, because yes. I was like, look at my professional background and look at my little girl, the things that she's going through. So many other people don't have that much resources, mm -hmm. and you see them. This child could have gone this way or that way, but she was going to those exams from one hotel to another, and she was still able. She took 13 GCSE, made A's in all of them. Wow. Her A-level, she got three A-stars. You know, she just even won the Copper Cup at Cambridge for their mute, you know, they mocked this. Wow. But this is somebody that was at the verge of self-harming. Right. Because of all the things that we're going through. So yes. it's, it's not just story on the news, it's people's lives. Yeah. So when people come close and see the impact, you see them go all out. So when people know, yeah, um, at least anybody that knows me very well will know that I am not a stupid person. I wouldn't be taking this risk if I had a better option. Yeah. Sure. You know? And so many people, I am not unique, so many people are in the same story. Yeah. Yes. But it's just that people don't get to see that. I think, you know, in, in, in listening to you, there are two, two sides to your story that become really clear to me. The one is that role of, of advocacy. We'll just take a few minutes to talk about the organisation you set up in a moment. Um, which is, this is clear and great. I think the other side of your story that we need to hear and you need to tell is is of resilience. Mm. The way in which you've held yourself 
and managed your own emotional and spiritual state, whilst at the same time creating a nurturing environment that has allowed your own children to thrive, which with just the click of a switch could have been so much different. Mm -hmm. And what we need to hear from you, Edith, is the importance of that resilience under trial and deep severe testing and in just holding your own, holding your own peace, holding your own composure, guiding and parenting those children who could otherwise have, like you said, almost easily slipped into self-harm or slipped into this or that or the other. Um, and there's a really uh, important story, I think, for you to tell on that side of your life as well. And I'd encourage you to make sure that you do that because you could help us all become better parents. Yeah. Uh, so. Thank you very much. And on that note, you know, I would say I really, really thank God I have got faith. Mm. You know, I keep asking people, I didn't know how they do it when they don't have faith. Because <laughs> when everything else is straight, when you are, you know, they said, you know that Jesus is all you need when Jesus is all you've got. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy when things yeah. are okay, you know. But in the midst of it all, I thank God that maybe growing up, I grew up in Nigeria and I was a Christian, Pentecostal. So, so many messages that is already in my well, you head. Come home this morning, <laughs> you know, it was just so beautiful that I keep hearing them, even when the surrounding about me does not speak the same language. I know the thought I have for you, they are good and not of evil. They are they will give you a future and a hope, you know. Yeah. I know that, you know, um, no matter what you go through, I will be there for you. Do not be afraid. Do oh, not man. be dismayed. So I trusted God and I held on to those words, you know. It was really difficult. But I found that, you know, when you could live out the, the word of God, it kind of increases your faith. Because mm -hmm. when God could open your eyes to how much you are loved, to how much you mean to God, that is a revelation. And once you've seen that, you can never unsee it. You know, the Bible was talking about the peace that passes all understanding. You know, through all these things, I found myself living with hope. And that hope is just trusting God at his word. Yeah. And when I look back now, they have really been a strong anchor. Things do come even at now. But I remember, he said, remember the miracle of yesterday. He is that same God yesterday, today, and forever. And he, uh, my, my hope that is a ministry, that I will let others see what a great God we have. Yes. What an amazing God we have. You know, it doesn't matter that things will come your way, but you are never going to be on your own. Amen. And yes. it's my lived experience. Your lived experience, what more can we say? We, we need to... Yes, it's, it's 12 o'clock, isn't it? Um, tell us a little bit about this organ. So, so you set up this organization. What's this organization and, and, and what does it do? And, so while I was waiting for our uh, decisions, I didn't want to um, be idle. So I did volunteer my skills to some other organization, including refugee forums. I worked with their into the mainstream health. And during that, you see a lot of people come and they do not have support, you know. There is what we call cultural competency. When people come from third world countries, there's a lot of stigma attached, especially to mental health. Mm -hmm. People don't seek help early until it's crisis level. Right. And at that time, it's both expensive to the individual because loss of your quality of life, they get sectioned. Mm -hmm. 
or it's expensive also to the system because it's no longer stage one, stage two. It's now crisis management. So I also, the things that happened with my daughter and all those things, I said, okay, how can I use my own lived experience, my own uh, professional background to be a support to others? So I set up uh, Van Claren CIC Chats, uh, Community Health and Awareness Training Service. So we work at the stage one, stage two support, which is non-medical, non-clinical, but it's health promotion and health awareness. So we go to the hotels where the newly arrived migrants are housed. And because they know that you can relate with their stories, most times a big barrier is already broken. And we like to see what we call psychological safety, see the whole person. So we do this whole person support. Because of the link, we have both with Red Cross, with Refugee Forum. We try to support them, wrap around care, and see how we can yeah, move them on. And it doesn't matter whether we have funding. We are fortunate now, because right from when we started, I guess God knew what we wanted to do. So we've been so fortunate. Um, um, National Lottery committed close to 200,000 to us. For a company that just started 2019, that was really amazing. And within the council, you know, we've been very fortunate with funding. But I don't let funding stop us because we work with the universities. We have nursing students on placement. We have social work students on placement. So because we have those kind of resources, I make sure that whoever needs our help, we are there. And we are there to support them. We are there to see them as human beings. Um, our, our end or vision is to help people take control of their own well-being. Because most times, because of this crisis, a lot of people health become less of a priority. Yes. Then at the end of the day, that health becomes the main obstacle to them moving on. Amazing. And you're training to be a vicar? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to be ordained in... July, in yeah. July, and uh, you'll be moving to... I'll be moving to Wexop, um, St. Anne's Wexop. That will be where I'll be serving my curacy for the next three years. Okay. And after that, you'll move into the priesthood and yeah. take your own church? Yeah. Oh, wonderful. I mean, what, what an amazing story we've listened to this morning. What an amazing lady. And uh, thank you so much, Edith, for your time. Thanks for coming and sharing such an open and vulnerable and honest but hopeful way and uh, may God's blessing continue to be upon your life and your future as you walk with him. Ladies and gentlemen, should we uh, finish with just a prayer for Edith this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Edith's story. We thank you for how you have and are taking and shaping her life, using her character and her gifts to the benefit and the blessing of other people. And as she continues to walk down the path of ordination, we ask, Lord, that you would enrich her, and that, Father, you would continue to bless her, and that, Father, her voice, Lord, would be a voice that is both pastoral and prophetic into the life of this nation as you take her and use her for your glory. We pray your blessing upon her family, asking, Lord, that you would watch over and enrich the lives of each of those children, and that they too, Lord, would know your goodness and your grace. And we ask this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 God bless. Thank you.